Euronet Plus Panorama is a weekly review of European news broadcast by our network of EU radio stations. Hi there, welcome back to Euronet Plus Panorama. The NATO summit in Vilnius and the EU's controversial nature restoration law make headlines across the block this week. European commentators seem to have given a measured thumbs up to the achievements in Lithuania on Tuesday and Wednesday. The Lithuanian president's chief advisor, for example, tells Jiniu Radias that he would rate it 8 out of 10. Although the summit was not entirely focused on Ukraine, its conclusions on Ukraine were undoubtedly one of the key takeaways from a European perspective. Firstly, a NATO-Ukraine council has been established to bring Ukraine even closer to the alliance. The Allies also agreed a multi-year assistance package to help bring Ukraine into the 21st century in terms of military equipment and standards. And perhaps most crucially, the NATO Allies reaffirmed that Ukraine will become a member of NATO and agreed to remove the requirement for a membership action plan thus reducing Ukraine's membership path from two steps down to one. In the words of NATO Secretary-General Jens Stoltenberg, Ukraine is now closer to NATO than ever before. Estonian PM Kaya Kalas, summing up the meeting in Vilnius, tells Cuckoo Radio that although words alone will not secure Ukraine's accession, the agreed text lays the foundations for it. And more importantly, it creates a formal commitment to supporting Ukraine that cannot be abandoned by any national government according to its political whims. What is important is that all allies say that our assistance to Ukraine will last as long as it is needed. It is not linked to the invasion. As long as it takes, we will be behind Ukraine. This agreement will embed this more firmly in all countries' policies. Even if there are elections and new representatives come in, a country's commitments remain. What we need to understand, though, is that we are not going to bring Ukraine into NATO through words alone. We must turn these words into concrete actions. And this does not depend on the text, but on the will of the Allies. The will of the Allies at the table was very clear. Ukraine must become a member of NATO. We have to fulfill these conditions to get there. As soon as the window of opportunity opens, Ukraine can join NATO. And linked to Ukraine's NATO accession prospects are its EU accession prospects. Last week, the previous Ukrainian president, Petro Poroshenko, was in Brussels to discuss just this. In an interview with Latvia's radio, he insists that Ukraine needs to do everything in its power to make sure that its EU pre-accession talks can start this year, if possible by going even further than fulfilling the requirements set by the European Commission. I'm realistic and the window of opportunity is very narrow. We should start the pre-accession talk this year. We should obtain the positive assessment from the European Commission in October this year. Otherwise, it would be next year, new election, new changes of the situation, new changes of the security situation, and with that, 
this is very risky. At the same time, I hate the idea when some Ukrainians said, okay, we already fulfill 75%, we already fulfill 85%, and now this is a responsibility of the European member states, of the European Parliament, of the European Commission, of the European Council. Stop doing that. Because this is not a time for Ukraine for discussion, compromise or something. That was on the stage of the obtaining Ukraine's status of the candidate. Now it's a time for delivery. It appears that, for its part, Sweden's NATO accession hopes are still stuck behind a Turkish roadblock. Indeed, on Monday, prior to the summit getting underway in Vilnius, Turkey's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, made a surprise announcement linking Ankara's approval of Sweden's NATO membership to the reopening of EU accession negotiations for Turkey. As a commission spokesperson reminded assembled journalists at a press briefing on Monday, NATO and the EU are, of course, two separate beasts and their respective enlargements cannot be linked. And Luxembourg's foreign minister, Jean Asselborn, makes this point more forcefully, reports 100.7. It's not up to Erdogan to tell us what needs to be done. Erdogan knows exactly what needs to be done to become a member of the European Union. In terms of the rule of law and human rights, that's where it fails. There, we are nowhere. We are miles apart. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz indicated that he would seek conciliation talks with the Turkish president on the sidelines of the summit. At the last European Council, we made decisions on how we want relations between Turkey and the European Union to develop. I will also speak with President Erdogan here. Turkey is an important partner for us, and this will also be reflected in our future relations. The official text agreed by NATO in Vilnius concludes that, in light of its hostile policies and actions, we cannot consider Russia to be our partner. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Poland's president, Andrzej Duda, sees NATO's willingness to be so openly critical of Moscow as one of the most important outcomes of the summit. His comments are shared by Polsky Radio. Russia is absolutely ceasing to be a NATO partner to any degree. For many years it was called a NATO partner. For many years there were allies who were adamant about including this naming of Russia as a NATO partner in NATO documents. Today there is no doubt, Russia is the aggressor. Russia is today the greatest threat to NATO countries. It is explicitly named as such. In the context of this threat, the NATO allies at the summit went on to underline their continued support of regional efforts to uphold security, safety, stability and freedom of navigation on Europe's eastern flank. In an interview with Bulgarian National Radio, Bulgaria's Prime Minister Nikolai Denkov celebrated the creation of a new NATO regional defence plan for the Black Sea. For the first time since the Cold War, we have regional plans in place to prepare countries for a possible attack from the east. In this respect, we are in a new situation. It is important for us to build on the capability we have today and for this capability to be fully integrated with the capabilities of our neighbours, Romania and Turkey, and also with other NATO countries. It's been a big plenary week in Strasbourg, with many sensitive files up for the vote. 
the Green Deal's nature restoration law proved particularly controversial as it did not have the support of the right-wing EPP, the largest group in the European Parliament. But despite this, and following a raft of compromises and amendments, the regulation eventually scraped through by a small majority on Wednesday, much to everyone's surprise. A key goal of the landmark law is to return 20% of the EU's degraded land and sea habitats to their original state by 2030, explains Belgian broadcaster RTBF. The law will only apply once the Commission has provided data on the requirements for ensuring long-term food security and once member states have quantified the area that needs to be restored. EU funding will be made available and targets can be postponed in exceptional socio-economic circumstances. Proponents of the law, primarily those on the left of the political spectrum, are hailing a great victory for nature, the climate and biodiversity. Meanwhile, those on the right and centre-right are also claiming victory for successfully watering down the proposals, particularly the ones on agriculture. EPP Chair Manfred Weber, for instance. Having now the final text in front of me, then I also want to underline that on content we influenced the document, the proposal for the trilogue a lot. When we see that a lot of these amendments from Renew on the Council proposal were finally accepted, and even a lot of amendments from individual MEPs were accepted, then I'm asking myself why Greens voted finally in favour of this text. It's an empty win for them. Dan Trifu, vice president of Romanian NGO, the Eco-Civica Foundation, expresses his astonishment to Radio Romania about MEPs' reluctance to, in his view, do the right thing. We do not understand the attitude of Romanian MEPs from all parties. Absolutely all parties have MEPs who voted against it. Romanian MEPs who are sent there, I should add, by the Romanian people to defend their interests. But when you vote against the interests of your people, things are getting pretty serious. It is clear that there are influences at play that should not be at play. In the run-up to the vote, our colleagues at EU Radio in France spoke to Green MEP Caroline Rosa, asking her to clarify some of the figures in the proposal. According to the Commission, for example, more than 80% of European habitats are in poor shape. If this is really the case, surely Member States' task is nigh on impossible. Rosa clarifies that a poor classification is not necessarily as bad as it seems. To get member states to move, to go and source data, to carry out experts' assessments in areas where we have none, we push them a bit. We put them under a little pressure, telling them that we have to achieve good ecological status in a certain percentage of areas. Those areas for which we don't know the ecological status are given a poor status. Putting these areas down as in poor condition will encourage member states to go and find out what condition they are actually in. Critics have talked a lot about food security, saying that this text goes too far, that we'll have no more farmers and no more fishermen. The Green MEP responds to these criticisms. Above all, we need to review the way we consume and produce. 
Do we want to keep polluting our land through agro-industry? Do we want fishermen to continue using totally destructive fishing techniques? At some point, if we keep doing this, we'll have nothing left. Put simply, we want to regenerate nature, restore nature, so that we can continue to eat. The text will now be referred back to the Parliament's Environment Committee before so-called trilogue negotiations can begin with the Council and the Commission. The hope is to pass this first-ever EU regulation on nature restoration before next year's European elections. So that brings our Panorama podcast to a close. Tune in again next week for more insight from our member stations.